This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we go deep into the NFS V4 wormhole with new NFS TME Chris Hurley and cover the features and how to get there from NFS V3. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. In the studio with me today is the brand spanking new NFS TME, which he's not really that new because he's been here a while, but now he's the new NFS TME. Um, Chris Hurley, hi. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So uh, we've never met before, right? Of course not. Yeah, we don't... (laughs) We don't know each other, so this is all done, you know, brand new, as if we've never met. Um, so we're going to talk about something today uh, that we don't talk about a whole lot on the podcast, but we are going to talk about it now. Uh, we're going to talk about NFSv4, um, and there's a reason for that, and we'll get to that. But before we start that, uh, Chris Hurley, if you could introduce yourself, uh, go into a little bit about what you do here at NetApp, and how to reach you on social media. Yeah, so... Uh Right now, I am the NAS TME, so I cover NFS, a little bit of SMB, F-Policy, and Antivirus. Uh, Before that, I was with uh, support in the NAS space and support. Um, So I've been with NetApp for six years now. Excellent. And uh, if we wanted to reach you on social media, how would we do that? Oh, yeah. AverageGuyX is my Twitter handle and AverageGuyX.blogspot.net. Com, net, com, one of those two, whatever the blog spot <laughs> one is. Wow. All right. We'll put that in the show notes for those of you who couldn't figure it out. Um, so uh, if you're expecting a lot of information from Chris on those handles, he isn't quite there yet. Come on. No, man. I'm Step working. It up. I'm, I'm it stepping up, it up. I'm trying, I'm trying to follow your footsteps. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Like, you literally are following my footsteps now. I mean, I was the NFS TME, and I've moved on to other things. And, and I guess I can tell you what I'm doing now is I'm doing ONTAP is a general focus with Flex Groups, uh, still specializing in that and doing more of the evangelist role, uh, working under Jeff Baxter. So Chris was so gracious as to take on the NFS mantle. Yep. And, uh, yeah. So, all right. Uh, let's get into it then. Uh, we're going to talk about NFS V4 and we're focusing on that because there's a drive towards better security, uh, simplicity, as well as just overall protocol improvements. And for a while, people did not go to NFSv4.x, for one, because it was fairly new. But we are now almost, what, 10, 15 years into the protocol now? Something like that. Yeah. So it's no longer new. (laughs) Officially, no longer new. Because some of the problems that we were seeing were performance-related. So, you know, NFSv3 is stateless. Uh, it performs much better than NFSv4 because it has to do less, ultimately, right? I mean, so right. um, v4 is the, you know, gold standard for security. And, and we'll talk a little bit about what it features here with Chris. So, uh, Chris, if you could give us the high-level overview of why NFSv4 is overall, you know, what, what it brings to the table that NFSv3 cannot so NFSv4 has, um, for, well, first of all, built-in Kerberos, right? There's a lot of a lot of stuff around security. So built-in Kerberos into the protocol, into the RFC, um, which basically does a lot for user authentication and client authentication. Then in that, also you get encryption. So you have total in-flight encryption. So from client all the way to server, you can encrypt your your data in flight. Uh, The other thing you get with security is, of course, ACLs. Right, NFS v4, and that's that's a, a one of the big reasons that people didn't go to NFS v4 is they couldn't understand how to use the ACLs. Right, it's all command line. There's no cute GUIs like Windows has. So let's go into the Kerberos uh, stuff. So you said it's basically built in Kerberos, and right. we're going to go into a little bit about about how that works. So I'll start off with the fact that the RFC for NFS v4 mandates Kerberos, and what that means is. You cannot have an RFC-compliant NFS stack with right. NFS v4 unless you include support for Kerberos. That doesn't mean that you require Kerberos for NFS v4. Right. You know, so you can use NFS v4 with or without Kerberos. What it just means is that if you want to have a supported server with the RFC compliance, you need to have Kerberos support. But when you mentioned Kerberos, you said it was integrated. So let's 
touch on why we say it's integrated and why that's different from what we do with NFS v3? So the integration is starts with the client, right? The client sends the Kerberos ticket in the mount request. Well, there really isn't a mount request anymore. There's just a put root FH in, in NFS. So part of the, uh, the RPC packet has the Kerberos ticket right in there without, you know, unlike with NFS v3 where everything is a sideband protocol, uh, mount is a sideband protocol, which can't do Kerberos at all. Um, you know, that's that's where the integration happens. Everything is on the NFS protocol. The mount really isn't a mount anymore. It's put root FH with Kerberized uh, RPC. Right. In NFS v3, we had NLM, which was the network lock manager. We right. had NSM, which was status monitor. We had port mapper. We had mount protocol. There's a lot of ports you had to open Oh yeah. on your firewall to allow NFS v3 just to work properly. Right. Um, our quote is another one that comes into mind. V4 has consolidated everything into a single port, 2049. Yep. So that is another security feature in and of itself of v4 is the fewer ports that you have to open up. So that helps integrate the Kerberos piece into the overall NFS stack. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned encrypting across the wire. Let's talk a little bit about what that is and why it's appropriate to do it in 9.2 and later in ONTAP. So initially, we we did offer Kerb 5P, which is the mount uh, the uh, mount security style, right? But we did have a problem with you know the the performance of it. We had to do, it was all software-based de encryption, decryption. In 9.2, we added the AES-NI extensions on the Intel processors, and that allows us to use the, you know, use a fast path to do the encryption, decryption piece, and which gives us a lot more performance. And we're on the, we're on the same bar as, you know, just normal NFS4 operations Kerber, uh, with Kerberos encryption. Yeah, so basically we've in, we've improved the performance for Kerberos security with privacy. So yep. that's KRB5P. We also have KRB5I, which is integrity, which is kind of like the in-between yeah. security level of 5 and 5P. But if you're going to add the overhead of integrity, you might as well go with privacy, now, right? Why wouldn't I want to do that on a client? Like what sort of things would stop me from doing 5P? Well, first of all, your your client has to be able to do 5P, right? It has to have it has to be performant too. Uh, the client also has to do the encryption decryption piece. So, if your client is older, um, maybe running an older version of Red Hat or you know Cent or or Debian, um, you might not get that CareB 5P encryption. You might not get the performance you you have because that that uh, version still has the software-based encryption decryption. Yeah, and this is all AES-256, so highest level encryption we can right. get. Um, when you look at a packet trace for a curb 5 p packet, you don't see anything of value in it other than, like, the fact that a, something happened. Yeah. <laughs> all you see is right. NFS, v, NFS 4. Yeah. That's yeah. it. That's all you call, know. Call response. Yeah, so without curb 5 p what sort of things would I see in a packet trace? What could I? What sort of goodies would I get out of oh, that? Oh, you can get anything. Uh, you can actually, you know, if you if you see all the reads and writes, you can actually reconstruct a file or a GIF or whatever you want to reconstruct uh, from the whole stream. You can see the directory. You can see, you know, the security of the files. You can see the mode bits. You can see the ACL. You can see whatever you want. Yeah, user IDs. You can spoof the client and the user. Oh, uh, yeah. So there's a lot of things you can do nefariously yes. with, with, when you can see that information. So Curb 5P is a way to kind of protect against that. And it's very similar to the SMB encryption we also offer in ONTAP, uh, which does end-to-end -end encryption for the SMB side. That was offered as of 9.1, right? Yeah, 9.1. Yep. And the Curb 5P uh, enhancements. So if you're running Curb 5P, you want to be on at least ONTAP 9.2 or later uh, because that's where the offloading takes place. Uh, that's where we added the, the code to do that. Right. Let's talk about ACLs now. So you mentioned there's not a fun GUI to use. Let's talk about what an ACL is and why people would want to use that and how it differs from what V3 can do. So V3, V3 uses the old standard Unix mode bits, right? You have you owner, uh, group, and world, or ev everyone else, whatever you want to call it, right? You can only read, write, and execute on those uh, and those those bits. Right. ACLs gives you granular control. So you have you only have a user, you only have one group, and you only have one other, right? What if you want to give two groups different access? 
Now, that's what ACLs allows you to do. It allows you to give the owner, um, give any one user any sort of access you want. If it's read, execute, modify permissions, you can tell them the, you can let them modify permissions or not. Um, you can give multiple groups different access. You can give one group read, one group write. Um, and, you know, basically it, it extends the, it extends the, um, granularity of the access control for, you know, way beyond what was available in NFS v3. In addition to that, you can also do auditing with these ACLs, right? Yeah. You can set up an audit ACL to audit your operations, and this can be done even on v3 mounts. Right. right. So you can you can set an audit ACL with v4 and then use v3, but we'd recommend using v4, curb 5 p all across the board if you can. Right. Because that'll give you the security as well as the auditing. So what do we get out of auditing when we do auditing? Well, what we get is we get to see who did what, right? We get the we get the auditing results of of actually who changed the file, who deleted the file, who created a new file, who changed the permissions so that John can see the file or or Susie can't see the file anymore. And that's that's real good for all the regulations. You've got HIPAA, you've got GOBA, you've got uh, GDPR, whatever regulation you want to go to has an audit requirement on it. Um, you know, I don't see a regulation that doesn't have an audit requirement on it. So you can now, um, you can have your NFS data be audit or regulatory compliant. Another security aspect of V4 is the fact that you no longer need, or you no longer are able really to, by default, use the UID number, GID number, Right. For authentication, right? So if, with NFS v3, if I came in as user zero, we always pretty much thought knew that was root, right? Um, and that means that anyone could be root because I could just say I'm I'm zero, and on top would be like, okay, cool, yeah, <laughs> you're zero, all right, <laughs> thanks for telling me. Uh, but v4, you know, has you know the security aspect of an, a domain ID string, right? Uh, so you have to have username at ID.com or whatever, right? And this is going to be generally your your ID domain. And, and it's got a match on the client, and it's got a match on the server exactly. Right. So, you know, it's fairly easy to spoof that if you know the information. But when you, in, you incorporate that with Kerberos and all the other security flavor pieces, uh, you're going to get more security. So tell me a little bit about what sort of things people would need to have in place if they're looking at doing V4 out of the box. So the first things first, you mentioned the the domain, right? That's That has to match around, around everything. Now, on the Linux side or the Unix side, it's called IDMAPD, right? However, you know, we, every flavor does it differently, and even between uh, between versions, the where it's done, it changes. You know, one one likes it in Etsy slash Etsy, one likes it in slash Live, wherever. Um, so that's the first thing. Every every client needs to match what the server's uh, ID string is. That's because the username and the ID string is what gets looked up. Um, the next thing that has to do is you got to have you got to have some sort of repository of IDs, be it local files, be it LDAP, be it NIS. Um, LDAP, of course, is recommended because if you're doing enterprise stuff, you might want to use an enterprise directory. Um, so, but you know, that's where you're going to look up your user IDs, your UIDs and GIDs, all your group memberships and everything, so you can build that credential for the NFS4 ACLs or whatever um, other you know audit, whatever other security measures you're doing. Those are the basics. Um, that you really need to get NFS v4 working. Yeah, so if you're doing NFS v4 on a small scale, let's say you have like five users you want to set up, um, you might want to look at doing local users, password file type stuff, because it can be pretty easy to manage. Yeah. However, if you're looking at scale, if you're looking at doing this for your entire organization, let's say you've got a university and you want to set up home dirs, don't do local files. I don't want to. That's I don't want to manage awful. local users no. on fifty million different systems. No, no, you don't. And if you, though, if you do want to do that, if you if you are a sadist <laughs> and you love keeping track of little files with thousands and thousands of entries, we do have the ability to import those files through a URI. Oh yeah. So you don't have to input them all manually into ONTAP. You can actually pull them in as a file, and then ONTAP will figure it out. But that said. 
LDAP or NIS is going to be your best bet. And out of the two, LDAP is going to be better because of the enterprise nature of it, the scaling, being able to replicate across different sites. Um, you know, L- Active Directory usually is the go-to for LDAP in most cases because it, you can do the Unix backend. It already integrates with your existing Windows environment. We do support things like RFC 2307 compliant servers like Open LDAP. Apple's, what's Apple's called? Open Directory? Yeah, Open Directory. Yeah. But of course, uh, Red Hat's uh, ID manager. Yep, um, yep, that's right. That's that's your, your your standard these days, which I think is IPA-based. Yep, and uh, with those particular LDAP servers, you also get the ability to encrypt the authentication to the LDAP server, the lookups. Yep. So, you know, we talked about Curb 5P end-to-end. Uh, you can also do Kerberos end-to-end with LDAP you know, lookups. So you can actually secure your LDAP uh, lookups so that no one can... S- figure out who is who on the LDAP servers and then get access to things they might not, they shouldn't have access to. Just to kind of piggyback on the LDAP thing, what we can also do with LDAP, and you can do it with local files too, but it's easier with LDAP, is extend the number of groups that you can support with an NFS call. So walk me through this, um, this 16 GID limit that NFS has inside the RPC piece. Right. So whenever you, you know, you're talking uh, NFS v3, you have a, you send a UID, right? You also send a primary GID. You also send auxiliary uh, GIDs, right? All the groups that that your client thinks that you're a part of, all the, the numbers, and that is limited because of the because of the RPC protocol, right? The RFC for RPC says only sixteen in there, um, so that's it. That's all you get uh, for now. In order to extend that, right? So we take we take the user ID, we go look it up in our NS switch sources with files, LDAP, NIS, whatever you want, and we grow go grab any other groups that that user is a part of. So that way you can have more than 16. Uh, I think the max right now is 1024 on that. So if you wanted to get more information about LDAP and the max GID piece, we do cover it in TR4073, which is Secure Unified Authentication. It covers NFS v4, covers Kerberos and LDAP all together. We are in the process of splitting those that TR up because it's very large. <laughs> uh, we have already done that with the Kerberos piece, TR4616. Uh, splits out Kerberos by itself, so you can do NFS Kerberos pretty easily, uh, a little more quickly, a little more streamlined. Um, if you want to get name services, best practices, um, we have a TR4379. However, that TR is currently in the process of being rewritten or you know, a new TR is being written, and we'll touch on why that is here in a little bit. We're still talking about NFS v4, though. So we covered the security aspects for the most part, right? We covered the firewall-proof stuff, the 2049 port. Uh, We covered the Kerberos piece, the domain strings. We covered the ACLs. Right. Um, So now let's talk a little bit about the other pieces of NFS v4 that are different from v3. So you started to talk about compound calls. Let's talk about what that is and why that is important. So, you know, previously on NFS v3... You did a read, you did a write, you get a, did a get adder, you did a set adder, you did whatever operation it is. One packet, that's all you could do. Um, now with NFS v4, you can, op- because it's stateful, also you have to open a file, you can get the attributes, you can get the file handle, you can read, you can write all in one single packet. So there is a little bit of efficiency in there um, for the NFS 4 protocol. Now, that efficiency kind of goes out the window when you start to think about the processing it takes to unpack those packets. Right. Right. So they come into the system and we have to do stuff with it, right? And that becomes a little more heavy-handed with NFS v4 than v3. But there are some improvements in ONTAP 9.2 and 9.3 to help that with some with certain workloads. Right. So if you could go into a little bit of detail about what we're doing in those releases. So we've done some improvements for the streaming workloads. That's the streaming reads and streaming writes. So your your typical databases do just reads and writes. They don't care about the attributes. They don't care about all the ancillary stuff. Right. And then your your um, your virtualization, your VMware's, your KVMs, your um, whatever else virtualization platform you have as a data store, those are all virtual um, streaming reads and streaming writes, right? So um, we we can we can fast path those into ONTAP so that 
you know, we get a better throughput for just those uh, those workloads. Yeah, and essentially what we're doing is doing some caching tricks yeah. to because we know what's coming, so we can basically predict that and say, don't think about this every time you do it, just do it. Yeah. Right. So that that actually improves the performance greatly. Uh, Nine two, we did that for four point one by itself. Um, and we'll talk about 4.1 here in a second. We didn't do it for 4.0 because 4.0 is kind of like one of those protocols. Like I said, it's been around for 10 or 15 years. We're now into 4.1, so we're looking ahead to the future. Right, right. And most Linux clients, when you say, you know, mount or version 4, it'll take the latest version, right? It'll take minor version 4.1. Right, and VMware, they they support 4.1 only. Yeah. They don't support 4. They don't so, support 4.0. And this streaming workload was really geared towards that VMware 4.1 data store uh, support. So that's going to improve performance for that in 9.2. And then in 9.3, we added performance enhancements for the PNFS piece with right. 4.1, right? Um, so we talked about compound call with V4. Let's touch on 4.1 and the PNFS side of it so now that we've, we've let that cat out of the bag. Um, so what is PNFS? So PNFS is a way to streamline your, your um I guess packet flow, if you want to call it that. Um, when you access when you access your NFS export, you're you're accessing it through one IP address. Well, if your actual data seems to live on a different uh, different node than that, then well, you have to do the uh, the cluster traffic, right? You have to do cluster traffic and on tap. Uh, PNFS will actually refer you, uh, refer your client to the node local that has the data. So you get a fast path into, you know, whatever operations you're doing, you get a fast path into the, your region rights into the volume. Yeah, and I always like to call PNFS a Lua for NFS because yeah. it, it's basically rede- redirecting the path no matter what happens. Like if you do a vol move, that path gets redirected to the new location of that volume. The mounts themselves will reside on that data lift they've always resided on. Those don't move, and that's right. just a metadata server piece. So if you're doing PNFS, you'll probably want to spread your mounts out across multiple nodes because you don't want to bottleneck all your mounts on a single node because those have to handle the metadata pieces. Right. Um, but with the reads and write pieces, then you're definitely getting some benefits because you're able to do locality, which avoids the cluster network. It also avoids the spin NP processing under the cluster cluster session manager that can occur when you go across the network because it's not just a network latency; it's also processing of the packets each way. Right, right. We still have a network infrastructure in our cluster network, um, even though it's fast. We still have a network infrastructure we have to deal with. Yep, absolutely. And if you can avoid that, by all means, avoid it. And PNFS is one way to do that without having to deal with the actual headache of setting up individual mounts that go to direct volumes and then remounting them once you move the volumes. So PNFS does add a benefit. It, so when I do 4.1, do I automatically get PNFS? No, you have to enable it. So you have the you have a control in your NFS server settings. And I believe your client, I think the clients also have a, a setting to do um, on to enable PNFS. I think the clients actually, the ones that support it, do it out of the box. Um, okay. So... But the problem is, is if you have clients in your environment that don't do PNFS and clients that do, you're going to want to be careful yeah. about enabling that because the, the clients are not going to know what to do with that. Yeah. They, the, you can get, you can get uh, all sorts of wires crossed with that. So at a low level, can you tell me about how PNFS does its redirection? Like what sort of calls are new to 4.1 that we don't see with V3? So we, we have the calls that are called layouts. Right, so the layouts tell you where the data is, where you know what what um, what pieces you're looking for in the data, and that's that's how the NFS client knows um, how you know what the data looks like. Right. We also have device info, which is telling us where our data lifts are. So right. the client has a whole map of this individual layout of the cluster, so it knows where to go when it needs to send information to a file handle. Right. Um, when a vol move occurs, that table gets updated and our cache gets flushed and we repopulate it and the client knows and just does its stuff. Um, what sort of uh, outage or latency do we look at when we have a volume move? Is it pretty instantaneous or is there a little blip? Uh, it, should be, it should be just about instantaneous. Okay, so like just a slight blip while we you know, go across, but we don't actually have any sort of outage. So an application that might have a latency consideration might not even notice, right? Probably not. If you don't want to do PNFS, if you don't, if you want to have data locality, but you don't want to deal with the PNFS piece, there is another option uh, within NFS 4.x, and that is the NFS referrals. Yeah. 
So when you mount uh, NFS, it'll actually redirect the mount point to a different node where the data is located so that your mount goes local. However, on vol moves or any sort of data movement, that redirection does not happen on the back end. Right, right. That's a, you know, you've got a static mount there. You, there's no layouts. There's no anything else. That's just the redirection. And then we also have something called delegations. So tell us a little bit about what a tell us a little bit about what a read delegation is and what a write delegation is. Um, so basically, what what delegations are is allowing your Linux client or NFS client to actually cache reads and cache writes. So um, when you know. When a Linux client opens a file, it doesn't have to go to the network all the time. It reads the file once, and then if it wants to write to it, if it has a write delegation, it can write locally and cache that write so it doesn't have to constantly go onto the network. Um, you know that the, it, it provides for less traffic on your network. Yeah, and that's basically for single writer applications, right? So you don't want right. to do that for you know home directories necessarily. You want to do that for something like an Oracle database. Yeah, you want to that that way. You know your Oracle servers and even VMware, all those things. They don't have to worry about you know other people writing to the same to the same files, reading the same files. So NetApp does a good job of making sure they keep the RFC standards when they deploy uh, NFS, and that's because we write a lot of the standards. Um, yeah, yeah. So we're we're very involved with the NFS community. However, there's a there's a distinction to make. So some RFC standards are deemed mandatory, meaning that you have to have them if you want to be compliant. But there are also op, you know, certain features that are optional uh, in the RFC. So that means that it'd be great to have them, but if you don't, you're still compliant. Uh, right. we'll, we'll slap you on the wrist a little bit, but you know you're still good. One of those is the NFS 4.1 trunking feature. So could you explain what trunking is? And um, we'll go ahead and spoil it now. It's not in ONTAP yet. Yeah. Um, may or may not be in the near future. But uh, let's talk about trunking and what that is and why that would be important for things like VMware. So trunking allows a, a single client to have multiple TCP streams uh, for the same data. So what happens is... You know, you let's let's take VMware. Let's pick on VMware. You got your data store, right? Instead of just having one TCP stream to one data lift, accessing all your VMDKs and all the, your streaming reads and writes, you can attach a you can attach a TCP session to data lift one, data lift two, data lift three, data lift four, and you can access all the files. You know, you can access the exact same files and do reads and writes over this uh, over different TCP connections that way you you get more bandwidth you get you don't have to you know your your tcp windows of course are spread across the number of of trunks you have everything gets faster okay and it also provides some resiliency right right so if like a link fails right yep. you've got one link fails you know you can have others uh, as long as your vmware hosts are multipathed and on tap is multipath right you you can insulate yourself against network failures there too Okay, and that is on the roadmap. I'll go ahead and say that. We're not going to tell you when because we're not allowed. <laughs> but it's on the roadmap. Um, that said, uh, we'll talk a little bit about resiliency because NFS v4.x does have a resiliency difference than v3. And that has to do with the statefulness of the protocol. So let's talk about what statefulness means uh, with NFS v4 versus stateless with v3. Right. So so now instead of V3, it was the Wild West, right? Everybody just threw a read, a write out there, whatever, you know, didn't, who cares what file it was. And somebody decided, well, maybe we need to lock some files. So that's where NLM came in, right? So client A can't write when client B is, is writing. Um, but what NFS V4 does is every... Every read and every write also now needs an open, right? So an open actually creates a lease on the file. And that's considered, you know, it's a lease, so it has a time limit. Um, and that makes NFS v4 stateful. So we track leases for each client. And for the resiliency, when the server, were, when the server goes away, it comes back. 
there's a certain sequence of events that are sequence of packets that need to happen that tells the client, okay, the server has gone away, the server's rebooted, it's lost its lease states, but I still have my lease states as a client, so I can go reclaim those lease states. And the server has a grace period to let each client come back and re- reattach to all the leases and locks that he had before. Yeah, and that's 45 seconds by default in ONTAP. Right. Um, and the difference between V3 and that is that with NLM, the application had to tell it to lock. Right. right? It had to say, hey, NLM, I want to lock. With V4, we're going to get that lock. Um, another difference is the V3 protocol, because it's an ancillary locking mechanism, um, sometimes you'd get leftover locks. So if something happened, if a server rebooted when there was locks in place, you might have locks that are left over. And right. you had to go manually clean those up before the application could function again because it needed to regain those locks and it couldn't because there were already locks in place. Oracle is a good example of that. Oracle used to have a problem where it just couldn't find this locks again because V3 didn't know what to do with them. So it just kept them around because I don't want to ruin, I don't want to make Oracle mad. Right, <laughs> right. And locks, you know, NLM is PID specific too. So if the client goes away, well, then the locks could still go be there and. And, you know, the PIDs are gone. You don't know which PID it was. Yep. And with ONTAP, uh, with clustered ONTAP, you could go into vServer locks show and vServer locks break if you wanted to manually break those locks and get rid of right. them. Um, but with V4, that's not a problem because after a while, the locks, if you, they don't get reclaimed, they they expire. Yep. And, and we say, okay, you, you don't want these, obviously, so we're going to throw them out. We, we are not lock hoarders in V4. Right. So. V3? The server is the lock hoarder. That's right. You walk into the house and there's just <laughs> locks everywhere. A pile of locks just fall on you. Ah, trapped. That should be a new TV show. It should. It absolutely should. NLM lock hoarders. Yes. Uh, so V4 integrates the locking within that, and, and that behaves better for most applications because it knows what to do with it. And, and I've always looked at V4 in general, NFS V4, as a convergence uh, towards SMB. Uh, so, right. you know, there's traditionally there's been this like um, rivalry between NFS and SMB, right? It's like PC oh. versus Mac or Ford versus Chevy or whatever. Right. Um, but what's happening is that you're seeing SMB act more like NFS <laughs> and NFS act more like SMB. Well, when, when we wrote uh, NFS v4, when the NetApp folks, because NetApp did write NFS v4, the RFC, we did say, we want to make it more like SMB. Yeah, they do some good things, the locking mechanisms, the statefulness of the yeah. protocol. I mean, you talked about the Wild West with NFS v3. Think about NFS v3 when it had UDP. Oh, God. <laughs> that no, was thanks. like, yeah. So, and, and, you know, and, and that opens up the, the possibility for data corruption in some places because, you, you know, silent corruption because we don't acknowledge that something's happening on the wire. Right. There's no, there's no control. Yep. So V4 is a more stable way of doing NFS. Uh, it's a more secure way of doing NFS. And with the new improvements in 9.2 and 9.3, it's becoming a more performant way of doing NFS. Uh, the performance is for the streaming workloads is on par with V3 now. Oh, so, yeah. so VMware and on Oracle databases, that sort of thing, you're going to see similar performance as to what you'd see with V3. So with those workloads, there's really no reason not to go to V4 anymore other than the infrastructure. Right. Right. And, and you know, you get the added bonus of, of the resiliency. You get the added bonus of everything else that V4 offers. Yep, absolutely. So that said, if you're doing metadata workloads, so things that are like very metadata intensive, EDA environments, you're going to want to avoid V4 for now because those are very CPU intensive. Uh, and there's serial processing of those metadata operations that's going to have to take place with V4 especially. Um so, but things like home directories. Home directories, perfectly fine. Right. It's, you know, shared, yeah. uh, shared unstructured storage, perfectly fine. You know, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to see as a, as a typical Linux user or typical NFS user, even if you've got an application that kind of reads and writes a, l- a little bit more than, than, you know, not quite database, um, database read, write level. But if you have an application such as, you know, Red Hat's MQ or any other MQ series, perfectly fine for NFS v4. Yeah. And, you know, the future will bring us improvements for metadata because we have to, right? V4 is going to have to be better for metadata with ONTAP. That's just the bottom line, especially now that we're doing things like flex groups. Each release of data ONTAP will get more and more improvements. Yep. 
Yep. And that's, you know, the metadata improvements, you should expect those fairly soon. Uh, it's on the roadmap. Again, can't tell you when. Yeah. Um, but the fact that we're doing, you know, we're talking about EDA applications. Right now, we can't do V4.x with flex group volumes. They only support V3. Right. But once we make those fixes to the metadata performance pieces, we'll start to see the incorporation of V4 into flex groups. And then when you throw on PNFS on top of that, you're looking at a very, very slick thing uh, with, you know, being able to balance load across multiple nodes, multiple servers, being able to use data locality in addition to that and getting those fast pass benefits. Um, that's going to be real sweet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How many constituents can you have? Uh, well, there's really no limit. Um, we've tested 200 across 10 nodes. Uh, so that's around 20 petabytes. But theoretically, you could fill your entire cluster with constituent members and have multi-hundred petabyte things. Right. So you could just imagine the the streams, the the TCP streaming that you can do with all those constituents and flex groups mm -hmm. and NFS v4 and PNFS. Yeah. And once you throw trunking into that, that actually adds some nice things as well. Again, this is all future speculation, uh, but oh, yeah. you know we are looking ahead to the future. Um, speaking of the future, uh, if you're thinking about NFS v4.2, which is really new, uh, really? that's not supported yet either. Um, that'll come in the future as well. We're going to have to fix some things. You know, before we get there, uh, 4.2 is on the roadmap. We want to knock some other things out first. Right, 4.2 was just ratified twenty sixteen, I think. Yeah, seventeen. It was it was recently ratified. Yep. So expect that in the in the future. But right now we're focusing on the four point one goodness. Um, we're looking at four point zero in the, in the rearview mirror. We're not really dealing with that too much. So if you're looking at four point one, or if you're looking at NFS four point x, go to four point one. Uh, that's right. going to be your best bet. Um, that said, if you want to do four point one, you're going to need to make sure your clients support it. Uh, most newer clients support it. Your older clients, like the Red Hat five and six, you're going to want to really check on the support matrices for that. Yeah, yeah, you're probably you're probably looking at you know maybe six six Red Hat six six somewhere around there uh, for four one support. Yeah, I think six two was like the earliest they did four one that was stable. Yeah, so, but, but really you want to go six six. No, yeah, you don't want to do that. Yeah, you don't want to do that. So you mentioned that we track leases within ONTAP. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the lease tracking as well as state IDs and what those are? The client has to know what leases it, it has, and, and we have to know who's got these leases. So what happens is the NFS client actually sends what's called a client ID. Right? And usually, usually it's you know it's IP address, uh, you know something it knows about itself, and and so so upon reboots, it can send that same client ID and it get uh, it can reclaim all the leases. So that's the first thing it needs. That's you know the client identifies himself with a set client ID. Um, then you have what's called state IDs, and that's kind of basically your lease. Right, so you have a state ID where you have an open in a you're granted a state ID uh, for an open, which is basically your lease, um, and that has that has your client ID attached to it, so the client knows and the server knows who's who's got that uh, who's got that file leased or locked. Do we have limits? For those particular objects? Yeah, we do. Uh, we have limits for client IDs, state IDs, and owner IDs. Right, those are your three your three um, your three things that are involved in in leases and locks in V four. Uh, we do have limits for those. Uh, they are tweakable and they are looked at as as being, you know, we, we will increase them over time, and as our platforms increase, we'll increase them as, as we need to. Yeah, and we're going to increase those as more people adopt NFS v4.x because right now the adoption rate is fairly low, and that's because of the performance and the infrastructure needed. Right. But we're going to start seeing that ramp up now that we're getting feature parity, we're getting performance parity. Um, so I, I'd expect that to start to pick up in the next year or so. Oh, absolutely. So if I wanted to go from v3 to v4.x today... What would I need to do to do that? Um, so first of all, you know, like I said, the basics is your ID MAPD domains on your clients and your uh, V4 domain on the NFS uh, server and on tap. The next thing, of course, you know, your IDs. You got to make sure you have your your common set of IDs and and groups and all that stuff. Other than that. Um, you need to, the export policies are set up so you can be granular. Um, 
So your export policies will allow either NFS, NFS3, or NFS4. Um, so if you've got NFS, you're good for that. Uh, you do have to enable. Uh, so the NFS enablement is also granular. So you can enable 4.0, you can enable 4.1, you can enable read delegations, write delegations, uh, 4.0 ACLs, and 4.1 ACLs. Right, so all of those all of those bits have to be turned on and on tap, or, or you know turned off whether whether you want to use delegations or not or ACLs or not. Um, but you have to turn those on before you can do V uh, four. Yeah, and these are all at an SVM level. You can't right. do it at a volume level, and you don't have to do it for the entire cluster. You can do it at an SVM. Um, as far as enabling V four versus V four dot one, you can enable four dot one and turn off V four. You right. can use just V four dot one if you like. Um, you don't have to enable delegations, and in fact, if you're not going to use them, don't enable them. Um, when you enable 4.1, make sure your clients know this because they will try to negotiate to the highest protocol possible. Right. And if you want some clients to use V3, you're going to need to tell those clients to use V3 on their mounts. That said, if I want to use V3 and V4 in the same data sets, like if I want to use them on the same volumes, what sort of considerations do I need to make for that? So the first one, the first big consideration, of course, is locking, right? Because NLM is a lot different than uh, your lock leasing uh, methods in, in NFS v4. Um, so if you don't have a lot of overlap of reads and writes on the same files or anything like that, you really don't, you, there's nothing really to consider, right? Because, you know, when you have locking, um, when you're not locking the same file, who cares? But if, you're, if you do have a lot of simultaneous locking or simultaneous writing and reading to the same file um, by multiple clients, by a huge number of clients, you want to make sure that all of those clients are running either all NFS v3 or all NFS v4 so they, can, they don't step on each other's toes. Yeah, and VMware actually recommends with data stores with v4.1 not to use v3 with them. Right. Because you can have collisions of locking and potential data corruption. Strangely enough, they actually want you to, instead of using the same data store that was already there with v3, they want you to migrate the VMs to a new 4.1 mounted data store. Right. I don't know why, because I can't imagine that unmounting a V3 data store and mounting a V4 would do anything. But what do you think? Mm -hmm. Probably just to just to make sure, right? How many times do we do things in IT and we think we did it all and and we miss something or or what have you? You know, just to make sure you have that break, you have that demarcation, you have that solid demarcation between what was what was then and what is now. Yeah, and I mean. V motion doesn't really impact anything. It's not right. disruptive. So that I mean it's it's a sound thing to do. I just was always kind of perplexed by why that would matter. I can see why you wouldn't want to mount them at the same time. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> but unmounting it and then making sure no connections to it, whatever. Anyway. Um so going to V four from V three, you're gonna to need to consider your clients, of course. Um make sure you know what to do with those. TR four zero six seven and four zero seven three cover these in excruciating detail? Yes. Excruciating. Um, you want some sort of name service, if you can, for enterprise level. Um, unless you're just doing like one or two users of V4, you want to try to have an LDAP server. I'd stay away from NIS just because it's not as secure, not as scalable. If you need to use NIS, you can. Welcome back to the 1980s. That's, that's right. What about NIS Plus? <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for NIS Plus Plus. <laughs> yeah, is, is that like C++? That means we'd have to go to NIS Sharp, right? Yes. So with NIS, um, you can actually import your NIS databases to an Active Directory domain and actually turn it into a NIS server with all the goodness of LDAP, if you so desire. Um, oh, yeah. But you'd want to engage Microsoft to do that because it's a little, it's a little clunky. Yeah. Unless you use Quest. Quest does a good job of importing yeah, that stuff. Yeah, Quest, Quest has some good uh, migration tools for, uh, for any, basically anything. Yeah, yeah. So we got the clients, uh, the server you need to enable NFS v4. You need to make sure your export policies reflect that. Export policies and rules can actually also limit who mounts via Kerberos or AuthSys. So you can limit right. that. Um, so you can make your mounts more secure, force people to mount with Kerberos. When you mount with Kerberos, it actually requires a user to log in, essentially like a KNIT, right. to retrieve the ticket. So that's basically like a Windows desktop where you have to do a sign-on to get access to things. Right. Um, those tickets do expire after a certain time period. Those time periods are set by your 
KDC administrator, usually it's what, 24 hours, 16 hours, 24 something hours, like that, something yeah. like that. So yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of things to consider there with V4, but ultimately when you get down to it, it's pretty simple. Make sure things match um, I, all the way, like case sensitivity, because that can cause issues. Um, what happens if things don't match? Uh, what couldn't happen when things don't match? Let's say your user ID strings don't match. What what do I get on my mounts when well, I mount them? I'm you looking for something specific. Yeah, you basically get an access denied because, you know, we, if we can't look you up as a user, how can we give you any credentials? What if I do an LS? What do I see? A uh, bunch of question marks. Or uh, that's more Kerberos. What if I do it with just V4 without Kerberos? Yeah, you get you get nobody. Yeah, you, know, you, get, yeah. you get you get that lovely NFS. Is it nobody or NFS nobody? It's I think usually some nobody. Cli- yeah. Some clients actually uh, resolve that as NFS nobody. Well, so let's talk about the difference between that. So NFS nobody is essentially six five five three four, and that is what PC user is in yep. ONTAP. So when you see NFS nobody, it usually means that somebody did not map users properly, and they wrote a file from SIFS, right. and it came in as six five five three four. And then when you do an LS and NFS. It says NFS nobody because that's what it maps to in its password file. Right. Nobody, however, is 99, so, and that's defined in the ID map right. file. And you can make that ID whatever you want in that file, but by default, it's nobody is 99. Right. So that's the difference between those two. Agent 99. The more you know. <laughs> Did we just G.I. Joe this? So I mentioned that the user has to log in with Knit. However, there's also another piece to the Kerberos puzzle that's the the actual service account, and right. that is the machine account. And this is not that different from what we see in Windows because Windows also has machine accounts, right? Right, right. But, you know, under the covers, NFS is still a host-based authentication protocol, right? So, you know, we've got export policies that, that give a host access, right? And then the... The Unix mode bits or the NFS for ACL takes care of the uh, user uh, user access. So you still have you know you still have to do uh, machine account um, curb tickets and and um, so well I'll, let's walk through the Kerberos thing. So I always compare the Kerberos authentication to going to a concert. This oh, is my favorite yeah thing that I've done since Insight twenty fourteen. <laughs> Right? So so you go to a concert, and when you go to a concert, uh, you have to buy a ticket. And yep. buying that ticket is your initial authentication, right? This is in right. you this present your, it. You present it. Well, you got to buy it first. Well, you buy it, right? And so that's the that's this acquiring the ticket. Yeah. And then you present the ticket, and let, they let you in. And on that ticket, there's information. It tells you where you can sit and whether you are in the VIP room, right? right. So that gives you your access, and those are your ACLs. So Kerberos is not that different. So when we do with a Kerberos authentication for NFS, when we do our mount, that's when our service ticket has to come into play, right? We actually have a machine account. We come into ONTAP and say, you know, I have this machine account SPN. And sometimes it's root slash fully qualified. Sometimes it's machine dollar sign at domain, right. depending on how you set it up. Um, and it also depends on the flavor of, Ker- of uh, the host that you're using as well as the type of Kerberos package you're using. It's It's... This is where it gets confusing because there's so many different things you can yeah. do. Red Hat 7 does a great job, actually, of doing Kerberos because it's very streamlined. It uses the machine account. It uses the dollar sign just like Windows does. It says, I'm basically Windows now. <laughs> yeah. So that has to happen. It comes into ONTAP. We have to map that SPN to a user. So it has to be a Unix user. Mm-hmm. Um, that Unix user is going to be whatever the SPN is. So machine account dollar sign is going to be the user it's looking for. So you either have to have a user that exists with that name, so it can be an LDAP or local files, or you can have a name mapping that globally maps all the SPNs with dollar sign it to a user. Right. So that's just the initial knock at the door. That's the initial, here's my ticket. Right. And that's what that's what you're you're gearing your export policy towards also. Yep. So that's that's step one. So once we've done that, we've mounted and we have access. So root can get in right away because it's root. Yep. However, users that need access, they need to be able to authenticate as a Kerberos with a Kerberos ticket and get that ticket to allow access to that mount. So that's where the KNIT comes in. That's our interaction between the client and the KDC. So we don't actually right. talk to ONTAP when we do our KNIT. Right. Right. That's, you know, that you ONTAP can't 
identify and can't authenticate the user in and of itself, right? It needs it needs the KDC, it needs MIT Curb or, or whatever to authenticate the user, and that's where the user authentication happens. We do the host authentication right. in the Kerberos piece. Yep, so after that happens, we the user has the ticket on the machine, and the machine says, here's my ticket, give mm-hmm. me a service ticket for NFS. And yep. then ONTAP authenticates that user, sees that it has a ticket, sees that it has a user mapping name, can map into NFS v4 domain, and it says, all right, cool, you're, you have access. Now I'm going to let you in, and we get, we get the service ticket from the KDC based right. on the NFS principle or whatever. So now we're in, and then we have to start implementing our ACLs or whatever security piece right. I have we in place there. We could go look up the user, give him all the groups that he's a part of, create the credential, and then see if he's actually got access. So, yeah, there's a lot there. Nobody said security was easy, but that's kind of the point, <laughs> right? I mean, it's... In- have you gone through TSA lately? <laughs> Take off your shoes now. <laughs> All right. So we've, we've gone into a lot of Kerberos there. I might have been more Kerberos than anyone wanted to know about. So with NFS v4, uh, doing name services is vital, in right. my opinion. I mean, it's an opinion, but I think that you should do name services. Don't deal with local files. And if you're going to do name services, I always like to say use LDAP because of the security and the scalability. That said, um, we have some changes in ONTAP with name services. And I, I hinted at it with the TR4379 name services best practice. And that, that was mm-hmm. as TR wrote a while back to kind of cover name services in, in general to see, you know, make sure people are using name services the right way. That's going to basically be deprecated now because we have a brand new name service piece. And Chris is going to go into some detail about that. Chris. Right. So we're changing. So right now, anytime you access a data lift, right, through through a NAS protocol, we'll focus on NFS here. Um, all the stuff happens, all the authentication happens on the node that the lift is on. Right, so you have your, uh, you know, once you're once you're given access through the export policy, your entry is put in access cache. Um, but we have to look up your host name. We have to, you know, with Kerberos, we got to look up your username. We got to look up groups, or if you've got net groups or or what have you in there, right? So we have to do all these lookups and we put them in cache because. Well, we don't want to have to go to LDAP for every single NFS operation. So, um, you know. Previously, this was held at a node level. Now we're doing a global cluster-wide uh, cache, name service cache. Now we are targeting this only for HA pairs. So, um, so if we have to look up a host name, right? We go, we got export policies, and we've got host names in there. We have to look up a host name. Well, do we have it locally? No. Now let's go look at our partners' cache. Can we look at his part uh, at our HA partners cache? And is it in there? If so, yes. Hey, we don't have to go over the wire. Same with net groups, right? So, is this global cache HA pair only, or is it cluster wide? Right now, it's HA pair only. Okay, so eventually we may look at doing cluster wide. Right. And really, a large number of deployments of clustered ONTAP are HA pairs. Like, right. I don't know if it's the number one, but it's pretty high. I think it's either two node or four node that's the highest. Yeah. So two node clusters are going to have the ability to have mirrored caches. That gives us the ability to find things that are cached on either node, but it also gives us some availability benefits. So what happens in in the event of a failover? So in the event of a failover, right? You 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 have you have the um, you have the cache there already. There's nothing to warm up. There's nothing. You know. There's there's no latency with access to once you once you have a failover lift migration. Remember, lift migration to another node, you've got a whole different set of caches on that other node prior to uh, prior to eight three or nine three. So now you gotta you gotta warm that you gotta warm that node's cache up to the connections that were on the the node that used to have the lift. The downside of that is I used to use lift migrations to troubleshoot cache issues. Right. That's going to be a problem now. It's going to be a problem. We've, our resiliency has foiled my attempts to troubleshoot. <laughs> but we've got, we've got a lot more tools in there. We've, we've gotten some support uh, tools in there to help you if, you if you run into issues with caches. Yeah. So one thing we added, I think it was either 9.1 or 9.2, is we changed the TCP or the uh, packet trace tool to TCP dump. 
So right. we're able to do TCP dump now. That's more of a BSD standard tool. Um, what are some of the new tools in 9.3 that we've gotten? Um, well, first of all, the you know we've gotten SecTrace for NFS, which is awesome, right? You know, we, we talk about access denied all the time. Hey, I wasn't able to access this file. Um, well, prior to 9.3, you didn't have any way to, to look at it from an ONTAP perspective. You didn't have any way to know why ONTAP uh, decided to give you an access denied. Well, now you do. SecTrace, you know, for those of you that know SMB and have used it in SMB, it's the same tool for NFS. You give it a uh, an IP address, a username, a uh, host name, and there's several other things that you can give it, and it'll track when it when it gives an access denied, and it'll give you the reason why it was access denied. Okay, so SecTrace sounds like a pretty powerful way of figuring out permission issues. Right. Um, what about export issues? How do I track those down? Um, well, we have we have name service checkers. The best things to do first is you have your name service checker, so you can check DNS and LDAP. Uh, if you're using you know if you're using Netgroups uh, on LDAP, you can check your LDAP sources. You can check your DNS sources. Then you also have the export checker tool, right? That's that's new, where you can do an export check uh, to make sure that that your client actually does have access. Yeah, that's like export. Uh, policy check access or something. Yep. Um, there's also getxxbyyy, which does lookups to the name services and bypasses SecD. Right. Um, and with getxxbyyy, you can actually use the flag uh, show source and right. show dash source, and that'll show you which source that's coming from. So if you're trying to look it up in LDAP and it doesn't find it, it'll tell you that it didn't find it in LDAP. Um, so that's pretty cool. There's also a hidden flag, and I don't know why it's still hidden, but it's a cool flag. Uh, dash show dash granular dash err so show granular yep. error and that'll show you the actual errors that it returns so you don't have to go digging through a packet trace just to figure out why <laughs> ldap didn't return your username because you know maybe you had the wrong ldap credentials yeah or maybe it just didn't find the entry and you never put it in there yeah yeah so that that's happened quite a bit um or maybe you didn't configure ldap right maybe your schema was incorrect Right. So LDAP schemas are important. It's the the way we map things to other things. And if you don't set the mapping right, then it's not going to be able to look it up. You're basically asking it for the name and you're telling it to look for a last name. Exactly. Okay. So NFS v4, uh, 4.x really, 4.1, yeah. where you want to look. But that's, that's the direction you want to look to be heading if you're using NFS in your environment. Um, if you do not move to it today, start looking at moving to it soon because you're going to get security benefits the performance is no longer a great concern, uh, and just start testing it out. You know, make sure it works with your applications and your environment, and you know, be ready for it. You know, because it, it is the future, and uh, that's where we're headed. Um, so, Chris, uh, as NFS TME, um, what sort of updates are you coming up with with the TRs? Well, as you mentioned, I'm doing the name services update. So, name services update. Um, that's going to be a new TR number. So, we don't have yep. that yet. We don't, we don't have, have that. that. Yeah, we don't have it until we actually put it into our tool and it generates one for us yeah and then some of the streamlining of the name um of that huge tr 4073 yeah i'll be helping you with that i'm not going to leave you on the lurch <laughs> i'll i'll help you with that that's that's my mess i need to help clean it up how many pages was that 276 wow which is funny because like it seems like a lot but a lot of it's screenshots of how to do things there's a like a large appendix like that we've got to remove i guess um, and uh, th there's sections, right? So there's a V4 yep. section, there's an LDAP section, a Kerberos section. But the problem is people look at it and they're like, that's too long. I'm not reading that. Let me just ask you. <laughs> so we're fixing that, making the TRs smaller. 4616 is pretty short. Um, I think I kept it under 50 pages by design. Yeah, 4616 is, is great for, for Kerberos. Yeah, good quick hitter. And then 4067 should have an update because we'll have to update the uh, name service stuff and talk right. about V4 a little bit more in that. Right, that'll that'll come somewhere around uh, nine three GA. Okay, any other updates you're planning on? Not at the moment. Um, still looking through some of the uh, NFS data and seeing what what needs updated. Yeah, I left you a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, Chris. Uh, again, if you want to reach Chris, how do we find you on Twitter or your blog? So Twitter handle is at AverageGuyX, and Blogspot is AverageGuyX.Blogspot.com. Yeah, I think it's .com. All right. 
thanks for joining us today and uh good luck on your trs thanks for having me i'm, I'm glad we met finally yeah we've never met never before, met before. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at netup. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you'd like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank the new NFS TME, contact him, not me, Chris Hurley, for joining us today. Thank you. As always, thanks for listening. I'm going to set up a rule in my inbox that anything that comes in with NFS automatically forwards to you. It means I got to black hole that stuff. Yeah. Just just set up a folder with me. These are from Justin. Justin's black hole. So if you don't know why nobody's answering your emails, it's because they're in a black hole somewhere. Oh, yeah.